welcome to The Brain Break Room. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Taylor, and today we are keeping it quite festive. We're talking about Santa. I just, (laughs) in my head, immediately have the Will Ferrell Buddy the Elf, like, screaming Santa. (laughs) Your poor ears don't need that, but that's what's in my mind right now. We are hype. Santa is coming, and we're going to talk about the logistics of Santa's trip, both from kind of a traditional physics and then some other physics theories that might explain how he seems to pull off the near impossible every year. So, just like the layout of Santa's trip, one... He's delivering gifts across the world in one night to all of the good children. Mind you, he also delivers coal to the bad children, so there are quite a few children on his list. He also has a very particular mechanism of delivery, and that is flying reindeer. Not only does he have his flying reindeer, but he also comes in right down through a chimney. So that's that's kind of the... The setting, the the lay of the land for Santa's mission. Now, what this means, thank you to all of the people who did the math so I don't have to. This means, considering all the time zones and the Earth's rotation, he has 31 hours to deliver gifts to, on the scale of hundreds of millions of households. Now, there is not an agreed upon number or even an agreed upon way to calculate the number of households that Santa has to hit. But um, just a few ways that people have broken this down. One, just looking at the number of households with children across the world and then filtering that out based on religion. And then another filter based on quote-unquote goodness, though I will disagree with this one because, like I said, the quote-unquote bad children don't just get nothing, they get coal. So Santa still has to hit those houses. But even filtering all of that out, um, still hundreds of millions of houses over 31 hours. And that means that he will need to travel with his trusty steeds in front of him. He'll need to travel 6 million miles per hour or 10 million kilometers per hour. And now we're hitting kind of the first real roadblock to this trip, which is that that speed would create air resistance that would result in not only Santa, but also his sweet reindeer and all of your presents going up in flames pretty instantly. So that's that's one barrier that we're going to hopefully address. How could Santa avoid combustion every year? Obviously he does, but how? Um, and then another consideration is the weight of the sled. Of course, calculated based on the number of households and the toys. I believe this estimate that I pulled calculated based on a two-pound Lego set. (laughs) So assuming that every child is getting a two-pound Lego set, we have a sleigh that weighs over 
321,000 tons. Remember, one ton is 2,000 pounds. So that is, that's, that's quite a, quite a hefty haul for the reindeer. Um, some more kind of practical considerations. Reindeer can pull 300 pounds, which is, I think, pretty stinking impressive. So let's assume that Santa's flying reindeer can pull 10 times that because, you know, they can fly. They're probably extra strong, too. So flying reindeer, Santa's reindeer can pull 10 times your average normal reindeer. That means in order to pull that weight with all the gifts, you would need 214,200 reindeer. And that's, that's a lot more that can fit in kind of your classic Christmas carol song. There would be like 100,000 dashers and vixens and all of that. But... I think importantly, this calculation is assuming there are no other forces at play, which we'll talk about some potential other forces that could be at play that would make it so you wouldn't need that many reindeer. Because once you have that many reindeer, I mean, the amount of food alone for said reindeer, the space Santa would need to keep all those reindeer humanely and healthy and all of that, we're we're getting into... A lot of other logistics far beyond making the toys and such. So we're going to set that aside for now. But those are some of the basics. And then finally, back to Santa's mechanism of delivery, the chimney. I don't know why the chimney got such a little flair when I said it, but it did. The, the illustrious chimney, the famous chimney. The width of the average chimney flue, which is a new term that I learned when researching um, for Santa. The flue is the path where all the smoke and stuff goes up. It's 8 by 12 inches, which is much smaller than a person. So that's, that's kind of a big other roadblock right there. And when a house doesn't have a chimney, Santa might need to rely on even smaller spaces to get in and out without going full breaking and entering. So, to recap, Santa has 31 hours to go to hundreds of millions of households. He will be going 6 million miles per hour, hauling a sleigh, weighing over 300,000 tons, and you will need to fit down a chimney that has about 8 by 12 inches of space in order to deliver the presents. That is what we are working with. Okay, I am going to start with (laughs) the whole heat problem because I think one of the most disturbing things about these numbers is the possibility of Santa and his reindeer going up in flames. That's really upsetting to me, probably to you as well. And so we're going to start easing everyone's minds. How could Santa make this trip happen without risking fire, burns, etc.? One answer is an ion shield with ions being a charged particle, so either missing an electron or having an extra electron, held together by a magnetic 
field. And these things actually exist, which is really cool. So I'll tell you about the research that developed an actual ion shield like this, and it's called a mini magnetosphere, which is super cool. Okay, so this lab out of the UK, which has been around since 1957, it's a government-sponsored research lab called Rutherford Appleton Laboratory, and they created a magnetized plasma barrier. So that is exactly what I was talking about before. But let's back it up, have this make a little more sense. Plasma is one of the four states of matter, and it's a gas of ions. So that's why when I say ion, shield, this plasma barrier is the same thing. We're using different words to say the same thing. So plasma is a gas of ions, And it's the most abundant form of matter in the universe, which is really cool. So it comes from the sun and from stars. And here on Earth, it's present in neon signs and lightning. And it has some really neat properties. It's electrically conductive, so it can conduct electricity. You can't see it, but I'm kind of doing the wave right now to demonstrate the conductivity of the electrons through the plasma. And its dynamics are governed by electromagnetic fields, which is why you can kind of control it to a degree in the space it takes up using magnetic forces. A really high temperature is required to maintain the ionization in the plasma state. So why did researchers create this magnetized plasma barrier that we will call the mini magnetosphere. They created it to test its ability to shield plasma from the sun, aka solar wind, for thinking about future space exploration. Those astronauts up there are going to need some protection from the sun and all the plasma it's releasing if we're going to be close to it or spending a lot of time out in space. And so they developed this magnetized plasma barrier and tested to see if it could withstand this simulated solar wind. And it can. It can. We created something that could potentially, I say we, We as a scientific community, we as humanity, created something straight out of Star Trek science fiction in order to potentially shield from the sun's solar wind, which is super, super hot, super, super charged gas. That is some scary, scary stuff. And we actually were able to create a barrier to that, create a little shield. And if the fine scientists in the Rutherford Appleton labs were able to create this shield, you bet your bottom that Santa was able to do it as well. So there's a real possibility that he is using the same technology that these researchers were using in order to shield from all of the heat generated by the air resistance when he's going that fast. He doesn't even have to deal with 
plasma because he's still protected by the Earth's atmosphere. He's not flying out in space. He just has to protect from the heat from the wind resistance, which is uh, pretty hefty. But nonetheless, he'll be okay. Yay! Now we can all go to sleep at night comforted that Santa and his reindeer will not burn to a crisp. Fan. Fantastic. Okay, so moving on to the next big ol' challenge of Santa's trip, let's talk about how he would hit hundreds of millions of households in just 31 hours. One possibility comes from Einstein's relativity theory. So first, I will cover relativity theory, the special and the general, and then talk about how it could apply to Santa and his legendary trip. Einstein's special relativity theory in 1905. In 1905. This boggles my mind that these ideas, which I'm obviously still trying to wrap my head around and seems so revolutionary. He thought of them in 1905. Like we know Einstein is smart. We talk about it a lot, but come on. So in 1905, Einstein came up with special relativity theory that explained one, how speed affects mass, time, and space, and two, that argued that space and time are connected in something called space-time. Okay, so this idea came from the basic principle that the laws of physics are the same for non-accelerating observers. So if I'm standing on one side of the room, my doggo, is on the other side of the room. The laws of physics apply for us both. But this means that events can occur at the same time for one observer and can occur at different times for another. And one example that I think demonstrates this the best is not just with two people sitting in the same room, two people, a person and a dog sitting in the same room but with one person on a train moving really, really fast and another person under a tree near where the train is going. So if you have lightning, two different strikes of lightning that are coming down, the person that is not on the train might see these lightning strikes as happening at the same time time, but the person who's on the train might see them happening at different times because they're moving towards one strike and not the other. Does that make sense? That might not make sense, but that's the example that really stuck with me when I was reading about this, so hopefully it'll help someone, and if not, just ignore it. Skip through it. Say, you know what, Sarah, that was a swing and a miss, and that is okay. The basic principle is that objects moving very, very fast will experience time more slowly than when they are at rest. And that also means an object moving very, very fast will experience time more slowly than an observer who is at rest. So Santa speeding along up in his sleigh 
going 6 million miles per hour will experience time more slowly than one of us on the ground looking up at his sleigh would. And so that means you might have, you know, some extra time to think like, where am I going next? Oh yeah, Kevin's house. Let me find Kevin's gift. Russell, 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 and all of that. Even though we're experienced watching him go by as like an instant, a millisecond. He's speeding, speeding, going, going. But he's kind of, he might just be chilling up there. Might just be chilling. Dustin, oh, I have some Christmas cookie crumbs on my sleeves. I'll take care of those. And then I'll see about my friend Kevin. I couldn't come up with another name. (laughs) But Santa can be preoccupied with Kevin as long as he wants because he has more time than an observer, than Kevin sitting in his window waiting for Santa to come does because Kevin sees Santa going by zipty zipty zop. But Santa experiences that time differently. This concept, I don't know if I mentioned it already, but this is called time dilation. So that is Einstein's special relativity theory. And then 10 years later, this applies less to Santa, but just so you have a full idea of relativity theory, if you're only here for Santa content, feel free to skip ahead. But the general relativity theory in 1915 was Einstein figuring out how gravity affects space and time because his first special theory wasn't so special in that it didn't account for gravity, but his general theory does. And this is just the idea that a massive object, so one that has gravitational forces, can distort space-time. And so an example that hopefully will be better than the train lightning example, but the example that an article that I was reading used for this that was really helpful for me was a trampoline. So if you have a marble on a trampoline and the trampoline surface is space-time and then you drop a bowling ball in the middle of the trampoline, the way that the marble will act on that surface, trampoline surface, will be very different than without the bowling ball. So this is the idea of space-time, aka the trampoline, being distorted by a massive object, aka the bowling ball. So that is general relativity theory, right, quick. There's much, much more that I could talk about related to relativity theory, but now... I think it's time. It is time to go on to quantum physics. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, since it's a podcast, I could actually put in that air horn sound, but instead, I'm just going to acapella it always. So, quantum physics is the idea that a particle can be a point, but it could also be a wave. And that means that a lot of different things can happen. So one is this idea of macroscopic superposition. Another big physics term to drop in a conversation when you're just feeling feisty. So um, this means 
that that particle can have two different states, but there's also a possibility that can be in both. And so, more importantly, back to Santa for all those people that skipped general relativity and just want the Santa content, this concept of macroscopic superposition or just quantum objects in general means that they can be in more than one place at a time. Ooh, which means that Santa in his presence could be, if he is a macroscopic AKA you can see him without a microscope. If he has a macroscopic quantum object, then that fella can be in more one place than a time, which makes his delivery sessions quite a lot easier. And to explain mayhaps why you may not see Santa in more than one place at one time is that when you observe also I'm just interrupting myself here. This is also why you should not stay up late to look for Santa because when you observe a quantum object, it is only in one place at that time because the superpositions are quite fragile. So if you see Santa, it means that he can only be right there where you are looking at him. He can't be in multiple places at once, which means it's going to take him a whole heck of a lot longer to deliver all those packages, which is why you should go to bed at a decent time on Christmas Eve. But don't feel bad if you stay up and you do see Santa. It's okay. He'll make up the time some somehow. He'll make up the time somehow. I'm sure he loves to see you. Okay. It's fine. I just didn't want you to be guilty if you stay up looking for Santa and happen to see him. It's okay. He has 31 hours, you know? He has plenty of time. What's a a few extra milliseconds? You know, he'll be okay. Okay, so another quantum physics little observation that will be helpful for Santa has to do with that dang chimney, okay? One way that Santa could get from outside of your house inside of your house without relying on traditional breaking and entering, which would be costly, time-consuming, a little scary, unfortunate, that sort of thing, he could use quantum tunneling. I want to put the air horns again, but I'm resisting, so... (laughs) I'm resisting. But quantum tunneling is this really cool concept. And it's not just a theoretical con concept. Maybe all quantum concepts can just be concepts. So it is the ability of a particle to get through a barrier. And this is this has been observed. This is shooting these little um, ions at some sort of barrier. And then sometimes they are observed on the other side. And one way to think about this is this is metaphor city today. This is where physics lives and breathes and becomes tangible. So at least for me, um, because I don't really have a physics-y brain. So if you think about rolling a ball up a hill, 
and it either has enough energy to get all the way up the hill and onto the other side or it doesn't and it rolls back down towards you. Quantum tunneling is this idea where the ball is rolling up the hill and instead of going up and over the hill to the other side, it just tunnels right through the hill and shows up on the other side. So the hill is the barrier and ball is the particle and this just happens sometime. And this comes down to this wave-like property of a quantum particle. The quantum state has a probability of each possible measurement and exists along this wave. And so that means even if many, many particles don't make it through the barrier, there's a probability that some will show up on the other side the barrier, and so they do. It's this fuzziness around location and other dimensions and measurements that come with quantum physics that allows these particles to do tunneling. And so this is similar to the idea that Santa could be in macroscopic superposition, be multiple places at once. But it also explains how he could potentially get through doors and other barriers and that sort of thing, even if, for the most part, he could not. His particles, 99% of his particles probably just run into the door, but 1% might just make their way through the door because there's this uncertainty about their exact position. Now, back to a little bit of science science, the hard research looking at quantum tunneling. Some researchers found a way, and I think this is so cool. They found a way to see how much time quantum tunneling takes. Because there's this idea, it's like instantaneous. You're either on one side, you're on the other side. But actually, they did this experiment where they set up this clock. It's called a Larmor clock. And One way to think about it is that there's this magnetic field inside the barrier. And the longer the particle is in that magnetic field, the more the clock hand rotates. So you can tell by how much the clock hand has moved how long a particle that is tunneling through the barrier, how long it's in that barrier. And it is not instantaneous. It's actually on about the order of one millisecond. The particular particle that they measured was in the barrier for 0.6 milliseconds. It also means that it would take Santa some time to quantum tunnel through doors and that sort of thing. So it might be easier for him to just be in superposition and be in multiple places at once, But if that fails him, then he might be able to do some quantum tunneling, even though that will take longer. So that is how Santa can potentially get around and do his business without one, becoming a crisp, and two, without taking months to deliver all of these gifts, which is great. I hope everyone has and has had safe and wonderful holidays. And I will see you next time in the Brain Break Room. 